The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. I'm just like, I showed to work and I'm working and I'm thankful. I'm like, oh God, I'm so glad I had this job and I'm able to provide for my family. Thank you for that. Some days I think, you know what? This job is not terrible. It is an okay job. There are parts of this job that I really like. Like maybe I do something that's particularly satisfying. I'd have a, a conversation with a client who's really appreciative, or or maybe they send me a nice big check, and I'm like, yes, today is a day that I enjoy working. That's a payday for you, right? And you're like, yes, this is awesome. Or or uh, but there's, there's other days where I'm just like, you know, tomorrow morning, probably very likely, I'm going to wake up in the morning. And it's going to be Monday, and I'm going to think this is terrible. I, I hate this. So I'm going to go into work and I'm going to start doing my deal, fire up the computer, start checking my email, look at the stack that's on my desk and think, this is absolutely horrible. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you have a love-hate relationship with your work like throughout the day. Like the morning, like it's pretty cool, and then it's about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, and it's kind of dragging, and you're just like checking your watch, and you can't wait for it to be over, and you're like, man, I cannot wait for this day to be over. I well, there's a reason that you and I have a love-hate relationship with work. We have a love relationship with work because you were created to work. You and I were created to work. That's a part of what's hardwired into us as human beings. And we hate it because that's a part of the fall. Let's, let's look at this. Look, if you have your Bible, let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. As we've done with, uh, we talked about marriage and we talked about uh, sex uh, let's go back to Genesis 1 and see what God designed in the very beginning. If you have your Bible, it's chapter 1, verse 31. Right in the very beginning when God has created man. In fact, I'm gonna, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to skip back to verse 27 uh, just to give us a, uh, a, a little framework here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given, I've given you uh, every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the, of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. It was so. Verse 31, this is the, the key part that we're looking at here. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then look at uh, verse chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his what? His work that he had done in creation. So we see something at the very beginning. Before, before everything starts going and there's schools and cities and buildings at the very beginning, even in fact before there's human beings, when God creates the earth, what does, he just, what does the Bible describe of what he was doing? It says here he was working. 
Isn't that kind of interesting? Have you ever thought about like God working? I mean, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I mean, he holds infinity in his hand. That he is outside of time. He is all powerful. But think about this about God. God is all places at once, knowing all things that are going on at once without exerting any effort. God can do anything. God is all powerful without exerting any, any sweat off his brow. But yet he said that he worked whenever he created the earth. We have a God who loves to work and loves to create. He did that at the very beginning. And he set a pattern for us whenever he worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh day. He rested. Like, I don't understand how can God rest because it doesn't, didn't take any energy. It's not like he, he, like he, he wiped his brow like he, like he was all tired at the end of the day, each of those days. But it says that he rested in order to set a pattern for us. He worked and he rested. We have a God who works. And let's look at the, uh, uh, well, why did he work? Why did he create the heavens and the earth? And the only answer that we have is he did it for the sheer joy of it. God enjoyed creation. Think about what it says at the end of each day whenever he created each thing. It says that he looked at it and he saw what? It was very good. It was good. And the last day he said it was very good. That's pretty cool. God got enjoyment out of building something and creating something. He looked back and said, man, that's pretty good. Have you ever had a particularly good day at work? Or maybe, maybe you hate work and maybe it's in your yard or maybe you're a yard dude or a yard lady. Like you like to go and work with plants. I have no idea why you'd want to do that. But you go out there and you work <laughs> with plants and you cut grass and you get great satisfaction out of that. Or maybe like you're, you're, you're particularly, like you enjoy like working on cars and like you take things apart and put them back together on purpose. Like why would you, I don't understand why you do that, but maybe that's like your deal. And like you, you, you do that, like you're out in the yard, you're playing things, you're moving things around. Like I, people who are yard people, you're just like, they're never happy. Like they get things set up and they're like, you know what? I would like this bush over here. I'm like, like, it's already planted. Let's just leave it right where it is. But now I want this bush over here. Let's move this tree. Like, you're going to move a tree? Let's move this tree over here. The, the people that buy cars that are beat up and messed up in order so they can fix them up. I, 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 I want to buy a car that's already ready running and just get in it and go and not have to think about it. But some people like that. Why? Because you're following after your heavenly father who created you to enjoy working, to be able to look back on the work of your hands and say, look at that. You ever had a project at work? Maybe it's not something you physically did with your hands. You didn't build something or recreate something, but you, you did something at work. You had a project. You worked with somebody. And at the end of the day, you look back and you said, man, that's pretty good. Or maybe you're a student. You wrote a paper and you hated it, but then you got to the end of the paper and you read it and you're like, that's not half bad. I'm pretty proud of myself for having, for having done that. Or you get the grade back from the teacher, and she's like double-checked and starred and said, really good job, and you get some satisfaction out of, I did something. I created something. In doing so, you're following after the pattern of your heavenly father who created things for the sheer enjoyment of it, who worked for the sheer enjoyment of working. Like all good and satisfying work, the maker looks back and sees himself or herself in. That's what you enjoy whenever you, whenever you paint a picture. That's beyond me, but you paint a picture and you look back and you say, like, you created a scene, you painted somebody else, you painted some scene that you saw, but you see part of yourself in it, the way that you saw it, the way that you're able to put it on the canvas. You saw some of yourself in the work and you get satisfaction out of that. 
God created you for that. Let's look at, let's look at that. Uh, Genesis 1, 27, which we already read. Let's look at it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man at the very beginning. This is before the fall. This is before the snake comes in and tempts Eve and the apple or the pomegranate or the pineapple or whatever it is. And she eats and everything goes bad, which we're going to get to in a minute. I'm giving you a cheat ahead. It's like a look ahead of what's going to happen. It's going to go bad. But before any of that happens, he created man to work. In fact, that work, when he says that, he said to create man to subdue the earth, it means to, at the end of each day, God looks back on the earth and he says it's good. He finished creation on day six and he says it's very good, but yet it was kind of, it had, work still had to be done to it. Think about that for a second. God created the earth very good, but he created it in a way incomplete. It's sort of like if, if, you, if you made up a, if, if, like Lego is out somewhere making 87 million Lego bricks a day. And we pay a crazy amount for Legos. And we buy them for our kids and they fall on the ground and you step on them in the middle of the night and you say really bad words that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> but somebody else created those Lego, those Lego bricks and you give them to your kid or you give them to an adult. I have a friend of mine. He's an adult. He has an attic full of Lego bricks. And he has a son, but it's really just an excuse, excuse for him to sit down with his son, and he creates these Lego-like communities and cities and bridges. It's pretty incredible what he does. He's got like $80,000 worth of Lego bricks in his attic. It's pretty incredible. But you give him the raw materials, and he then creates something. Those Lego bricks, when they complete, when they come off the assembly line in Sweden or whatever they do, when they make the Lego bricks, those Lego bricks are complete. But you have to take the raw material and build something out of it. And that's what the earth is for us. <coughs> the earth is full of raw material that he's given us to work with and to create, to follow after him. But then look, I already gave you the, the cheat ahead. Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. This is after the serpent came and Adam and Eve really messed up. And God came and said, hey, what's going on? And they shifted blame to each other and then now God's getting, he's, he's telling them what the, uh, what the consequences of their actions are going to be. Verse 17, and to Adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistle, thistles, thistles, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and the dust you shall return. So why do you and I both have a love and hate relationship with work? We have a love relationship with work because we are created to follow the pattern of our Heavenly Father and take the raw materials he's given us to create and to work and to build. It happened in the very beginning. He told Adam, go and work, subdue the earth. Like there's something in us as people, like we want to work, we want to do something, we want to make something, we want to create something, we want to build something. 
But then the other part of the hate relationship of it is that part of the curse is, he said, now your work is going to be toilsome. It's going to be by the sweat of your face, or the, your version may say the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard. The, the earth and man were made in the beginning to work in unity with each other. He said, now it's going to be broken, and you're going to be fighting with the earth in order to provide for your family in order to do work. What you created to do is now going to be difficult and hard and toilsome. It's going to be hard work for you. And that's why we have a love-hate relationship with work. Because you were created for it. But now we live in a fallen world where things don't work the way it's supposed to work. But then Jesus Christ comes. He has, he has totally changed. This is the way that like, our, uh, our relationships with each other as man and wife were created to be in unity and perfect harmony with God and with each other and then was broken at the fall and now he's redeeming that and pulling that back together and, and as just as our uh, human beings like father and child are supposed to live in unity and love with each other and then that was broken and that's why there's this fights back, struggles back and forth appearance but now he's created a new community where that looks different it's just that same way he's created a new community and us believers where work is supposed to look different. It's a beautifully disruptive plan. As we look at Ephesians chapter 6. You go ahead and turn there. This is our text that Dale already read for us. Ephesians 6 verse 5. It says, bond servants, or your version may say slaves or bond slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, first of all, before we really get into kind of the, the heart of the topic that we're going to be covering this morning, uh, anywhere, but particularly in the American South, when you read words like bond servants or bond slaves or slaves, we need to stop and kind of address kind of what that's going to be, what that's going to be kicking on. So in the Roman Empire, they estimate uh, there could have been somewhere around 60 million slaves living in the Roman Empire at this time. That's very likely that there are more slaves in the Roman Empire than actually freed them. So whenever he's addressing slaves or bond slaves, he's addressing a large group of people. Now, slavery is wrong. I mean, that should be, that, I don't even have to, shouldn't have, have to say that. But slavery is wrong. It's, to think of that, particularly in our thinking, to think that any person can own another person is incredibly repulsive, and it should be. Uh, the, that any man could own another man like he would own property is, is, we should feel incredulous, we should feel indignant and angry about that. That is not right. That's absolutely not right. There's a couple things to think about, though, as we picture this picture. First of all, is that American slavery looked different than this kind of slavery. It's still wrong, but American slavery was slavery that was based upon this a concept that a particular race was a lower, was lower in intelligence and value simply because they were a different race, because they had a different skin color. And that is abhorrent. That's, that is a, that's taking the evil of slavery to a whole nother degree. But even in this day, slaves were mistreated. They were treated as little more than, uh, 
a little more than the, what you consider chattel. Like you own, you, own a, you own chickens, you own cows, you own uh, a, the animals that you help around the farm, and you own slaves. And you can use them and abuse them in whatever way you, you want to. And so masters were constantly abusing their slaves. In fact, it, it was such an ex- accepted idea of the day that even Aristotle talks about slaves as, as if they're property. It's, it's, incre- it's an incredible thing. But Paul, even though he's not, he doesn't address the slaves, which by the way, it, Paul gets some crap in this part. I'm sorry, but he, he does. He gets some crap for, for, for addressing slavery the way he does because people say, why doesn't Paul just say, hey, slavery is wrong, you guys need to stop it. Well, There are, there are times, there are people that grew up in, in Gamecock households who just, from the very beginning, they pull, for, they pull for the Gamecocks. The parents pull for the Gamecocks, grandparents pull for the Gamecocks, and the kids pull for, pull for the Gamecocks. And you can't see your folly because everybody around you just all pulls for the Gamecocks together. It, you, don't, you lack perspective. So even if you realize, like, hey, I like th- th- being a Gamecock fan is very disappointing. I'm gonna every single every single year is gonna be disappointing. You lack perspective to understand just how wrong it is because everybody around you are all pulling for the Gamecocks. And when we look back at history, we see people who are on the wrong side of an issue. That it's very difficult for us to judge them from today because they are so surrounded by their by the the common accepted norms of their day that it's difficult for them to get outside. But Paul is addressing the slaves and the masters in a very revolutionary way. It's a very, it's a peacefully disruptive way that he's, that he's addressing them. Because first of all, he's addressing slaves and masters as equals. Which is an incredibly, incredibly new idea. That's, that, in fact, most scholars accept that that is a new Christian idea at the time that Paul is writing this. Nobody else is on the scene. There are some people on the scene at this point saying we should treat our slaves better, but they still viewed slaves as property of the masters, and Paul is addressing slaves and masters equally. He's addressing them both in Christ as free men. So he's saying that though the law says that somebody else owns you, I'm addressing you as a brother or sister in Christ to say that in Christ you have a freedom that that goes above and beyond what the law says. The law was wrong, but Paul is addressing them in such a way that is going to create a disruptive force in the Roman Empire. Let's look at it. And let's think about it as now as... Because the, in our context, we can learn what he's described to bond servants and masters as we think about us being employees and employers. All right. I don't know if I answered any questions. But any, do you guys kind of understand what I'm saying about the slavery issue? It's wrong. Why doesn't Paul say he should be abolished? He was a product of his time. But what he is saying is incredibly disruptive. It's going to turn the Roman Empire on its on its head as masters and slaves come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and they see that they're equal under God. It's going to change the whole thing. In fact, it changes the empire. 
Christians were on the wrong side of American slavery as majority, but you know who led the charge? We're a small group of Christians who led the charge, saying, hey, if God has created us equal, then there's something wrong. And though the church has sometimes been on the wrong side of history, it has more often than not in the past 2,000 years been a, sometimes a minority of believers who said, this is wrong, something needs to happen, and God creates great change to that small group of people who are peacefully disruptive in the status quo. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. So this is a, already in a revolutionary idea that he's given to the bond servants that he's writing to at the time and to us who have employers. He's saying that you have earthly masters. So he's differentiating saying that if somebody is your master, somebody is your boss, if somebody is over you, they don't run your life. If now, as you as a believer, you have a heavenly master who is above you. You have a heavenly master who is, who is in heaven watching out for you. That it's not that you're not relying upon your earthly master, whether he is in a good mood today. You're not relying upon your earthly boss, whether he's in a good mood today, or whether he's going to, or that he likes you or not, or whether he it gets along well with you, or whether you're going to be promoted, or whether you're going to have a successful career. That your great, your greatest master is your heavenly master in heaven. Bond servants obeying your earthly masters with what? With fear and trembling. With a sincere heart. With fear and trembling. So, so listen to that. So he says, obey. This is your earthly masters, not your heavenly master. The buck doesn't really stop with them. It actually stops with your heavenly father now since you're a child of God. But he says to, he says to obey them with fear and trembling. Why? He says obey them with fear and trembling because you're not serving your earthly master. You're not accountable ultimately to your earthly master. Your, your earthly master, they may own your company. They may be the richest man in the area. They might be a huge corporation. That, but the buck does not stop there. The buck stops with your heavenly father, your heavenly master who is over all. The one who created the world and holds it in the palm of his hand is your true employer. The person who signs your paycheck, the buck doesn't stop there. Buck stops beyond if you're a child of God. So that's why we obey them with fear and trembling because we're not obeying the will of our master. We're obeying somebody who is above them. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. So that is a revolutionary idea. So whenever you think about whenever you're going to show up to work tomorrow morning and you have that boss that really just... Any, no, don't raise your hand, but anybody have a boss or ever had a boss that just like, they just get you? Or maybe you don't, maybe you own the company and you have a client and that client just, every single time you talk to them, they just, mm. or, or you have a coworker or you have a, somebody in your workplace that's just, they know, they know just the right buttons to press for you and they drive you crazy every time around them, every time you're around them. He says that you're not obeying them. You're not obeying that boss. You're not obeying your jerk boss. You're obeying with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Because you recognize, again, the buck doesn't stop with the jerk. The buck stops with Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who you're accountable. 
doing the will of God from the heart. So, so you're not obeying somebody, you're not doing what they've asked you to do simply because you simply because they, they ask you to do it. You you say, I'm gonna grip my teeth. You know how Dale said last week like his kids were shrimping? You guys remember that? Were you here? Like he says you, you ask your kid to do something and they do it, but they do it like like this, they look like a shrimp, they, they walk like this and do whatever you ask them to do it. How many of you guys actually do that like either maybe physically or more likely, like mentally, emotionally in your heart. Your boss asks you to do something. You don't want to do it. You have a bad attitude. Who are you to boss me around? And you kind of shrimp all night around your work. You're just doing, you're doing it. You're doing it, but you're not doing it out of a sincere heart. He's saying that we should be obeying our employers, our bosses, with a sincere heart. Now, how do you do that? When you don't like or respect your boss. We don't like or respect whoever is over you. When you don't like or respect that client that signs your check, but you, that just drives you crazy every single time. The only way you can do it is if you're not serving them. The question is, are you serving, are you serving Jesus Christ in your workplace or in your home where you're working and caring for your kids? Or are you serving the paycheck that you get on Friday? Are you serving Jesus Christ? Are you viewing him as your master, him as your boss? Are you looking for the, for the well done from your immediate boss, from the one who signs your paycheck? You're looking for them. Do you, do, you, do you get your strokes out of your coworkers saying, hey, you did a really good job? And so because, because of that, you only do a good job when people are watching you, but nobody's watching you. You just kind of mail it in. Or are you serving your family at home when you're, when you're watching your kids and you're changing that diaper or you're answering the telephone or you're clocking in at the right time or you're deciding what you're going to do with your afternoon or I'm going to spend it watch, looking at the internet or I'm actually going to serve my bosses and do what they're paying me to do. Are you doing it because something, some stroke you get back from some person or are you doing it because of your master and one day he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Who are you serving with a sincere heart? Because if you're looking for strokes out of your bosses or your employee because they sign your check or they say, hey, good job, they give you a thumbs up, they give you a clap, they put your name up on the board and say you're the employee of the month, employee of the week, or they give you the bigger office, or you get the special parking place, if you're doing it for that, and you're not doing it out of a sincere heart for Christ. What are you worshiping whenever you're looking for the strokes out of the paycheck or the special parking place or your coworkers to say, really good job? You're worshiping the approval of man. You're worshiping your bank account. You're worshiping money. But you're worshiping something other than Jesus Christ. And you are spending 8.8 .8 hours average a day at work worshiping. Every single mark you make on a paper, every single stroke you put on the keyboard, every single person you teach, every single interaction you have with your child, every single diaper that you, that you change, every single floor that you sweep, you are worshiping something. You're looking at something towards the end. Are you, wor are you worshiping the strokes that you get from people around you? Or are you worshiping Christ? Doing the will of God from the heart 
rendering service with a good will asked to the Lord, not to man. Who are you serving? Are you serving that jerk client? So, so then when they, they come to the window or you deal with them on the phone or they send you that just super annoying email and you shoot off like you, you smart off to them on the phone, you shoot off a, that, you know, that email, that email that you wish like two seconds later, you're like, ugh, I wish I could call that one back. You know, like Gmail has that like delay. I don't know if you ever used it. If you're on Gmail, it has like a del- you can check a box and you have a delay send. Like you send it, you have five seconds to say, oh, I'm going to call that email back before you actually send it. Like how many of you guys like could have created a lot less hassle if you could have called that email back five seconds late? That email that you shoot off just as fast because they just, they got your goat. I have no idea what that saying means, by the way. Got your goat. I guess I don't know. Means means something bad, but I, I, don't, I, have, I have no idea what that, how that would be bad. But they they got your ghost, and you shoot up that email. And you know why you do that? Because you're serving that person. And so when you, you're serving a person that you think deserves your respect back, that's when you give them respect back. When you're serving a person and they're and they're kind to you, you give them the same measure of kindness back. But Paul is saying. You should be rendering service to people around you as if they're Christ. That you should be teaching that student, serving that client, dispensing that prescription, whatever it is that you do, drawing up that brief. Not because this person deserves anything in return, but because I'm serving Christ through this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. You and I are very good accountants. I'm not very good with numbers. I'm not very, not especially good with money. Like I, Megan was trying to recount some figures to me last night. We were trying to make some figures some stuff up. And I, and I just like, she, she got like three numbers into it and it just all became jumbles. And I, I lost track. I like, I have no idea what you're talking about now. I know you keep saying numbers, but I, I can't keep track. But you and I, no matter how good you are with numbers, no matter how good you are with money, you and I are excellent accountants. We are always keeping track of, like, sort of how many good points have I given you and have you given back to me? <laughs> like, you've been this nice to me. You deposited six little, like, nice bits in my account. I can, I can be the same amount nice back to you, but I'm not going to be more. I'm only going to be as nice to you as you're nice to me. I'm only going to respect you as much as you respect me. We're always keeping accounts. I'm going to do something for you. So that, that's why you and I, we, we hate like when somebody does something for us, like we want to be able to pay them back because I don't want to be owing you anything. I don't want, to, I don't want the debit to be more on your side than it is on my side. We're always keeping accounts. And he's saying that instead of you and I keeping accounts, that God's the one who's keeping accounts. And when you and I do good, when everybody else in your office is waste the last 45 minutes of the day, you say nobody else will notice, nobody else will care if I don't actually work these last 45 minutes. God does. And he's keeping an account of that. And your boss may never notice. Your co-workers may never notice. But God does. And he's keeping an account. Because you're serving him and not serving your boss Then he addresses the, the, the masters or the employers. Masters, do the same 
to them. That is a revolutionary idea in the, in the ancient world at this time. To tell masters that they are to do the same to their servants is a revolutionary idea. And it's actually a revolutionary idea in American society too. Because what do we celebrate in America? We celebrate money. We celebrate status. We celebrate success. And all the things that come as a result of success are, are things to be celebrated. And whenever you get up the pyramid, you get up the ladder, like, you're not supposed to, like, that, that you've earned that. You've, you've worked it. You had some sort of talent or ability or drive or desire that got you to this level, and you deserve to be there. But he says to the masters, if you've worked your way there or whatever the case may be, that you're to look at the people that are below you, that are answerable to you, that you're signed a paycheck that are answerable, directly answerable to you, and you should be serving them with respect and honor. That's a revolutionary idea. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. I'm definitely not going to make you raise your hand on this. How many of you in here are jerk bosses? When people don't toe the line correctly, it just gets your goat. And you show them. And, and, and you may have all kinds of excuses. People need to hear hear it tough, people need tough love, people need whatever it is that you, that you use excuses to yourself and the people around you for. But are you threatening them? Are you, are you interacting with them knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him? That he sees you as an employer and he sees them an employee, as an employee equal for him. That person is a person who God created in his image. And you owe them a level of respect and honor and love. Regardless of whether they earned it. They might be the worst employee ever. I'm not saying you have to keep them on the payroll. I'm just saying they might be the worst employee ever. But it doesn't mean you threaten them and you abuse them. Because in America, you're worth what you're worth. In America, we treat people, even though we say all people are created equal, we treat people according to what their monetary worth is to our company. But he says we treat them with a worth that is inherent from God. So here's the question for us. There's two questions. Number one, who are you working for? Who are you working for? Stay-at-home moms, when you're home, changing the diaper, keeping the kids. You that in here that work for us, somebody else. And you in here that are masters. Whatever, whatever position that you're in, who are you working for? And the second question is, to what end are you working? What's your goal? What's the purpose in your work? And what this text is saying, when we look back to Genesis, is saying that your and my mundane work, because isn't a lot of work is just mundane, tedious, isn't it? All of us, no matter how much we love our job, there are certain elements that are just mundane and tedious. Some of it may be that you really love your job, but just like there are certain days you just don't feel like working, you don't feel like showing up. And it's just tedious and mundane to have to get up and, and, and show up to work. Some of us, we have a repetitive task that we have to do every single day that just gets old and tired and we don't want to do it. 
But he is saying that your and my mundane tasks, the, the small things that we constantly have to do over and over and over again that are repetitive, 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 that we get tired of, that we want to mail it in on. He says, your and my mundane task has great meaning and mission. Your and my mundane task, that we, our mundane work, has great meaning and great mission. The meaning is supplied by connecting your work to God's original work. So God created the heavens and the earth. He worked on each day. He created mankind to work. And that, that we view that whenever I get up in the morning and I'm going to show up to work and I'm going to do my deal, whatever your deal is that you have to do tomorrow. Whatever it is your work is, that you, that you connect to say, by doing this, I am following in the pattern that God created me to do. He created me to work, and I'm working. He worked himself, and I'm doing like he did. I am working. He said to go subdue the earth. It's, it's called, the theologians call that the cultural mandate. It means he created us in order to go and create cities and build buildings. He created us to to come up with new inventions. He created us to, to come up with new things, to, to, to build, to, to create art, to paint things, to sculpt things. Why do we do the things that we do? Because he created us to do it. And we connect our work as believers to that work for which he created us for. And we're following his pattern of work. That's the meaning of our work. It's not just something that I'm, mailing in that I have to do in order to, to simply pay the bills. Because Christians often have a disconnect in our work. We, we often think about our work as like something that's secular. Or my career is something secular. But now this is church. This is my personal life. This is my family life. But God says, no, all of it is worship for me. That supplies the meaning for our work. The mission is, supply, is, is, is supplied by connecting what I'm doing to God's redeeming. So Jesus Christ came and redeemed you and me by dying on the cross for our sins. And now you and I are called to scatter into your different workplaces. Scatter to the hospital, to the courthouse, to the schoolhouse, to the banks, to wherever you and I are gathering tomorrow and throughout this week to work. We're called to gather there and you're called to, to teach. You're called to parent you're called to bank, you're called to pharmacy, whatever it is that God's called you to do, you're called to go there and do that in such a way that you are worshiping and glorifying God in what you're doing. And by doing so, you're participating in God's redeeming work. And when people around you, clients, customers, bosses, coworkers, they look and they see you working not to man, not for, the, the, not for a paycheck and not for the applause of your boss or the applause of your coworkers. You're working for Christ. You're looking for his final smile that will come when you stand before him. That whenever you do that, that you are, that people look and they see a different kind of life and they say, there is something going on there. And by doing that, you are participating in God's redeeming work. 
So when you show up tomorrow and you're answering emails, you can answer emails knowing that you're doing so as a, as a part of worship to God and not just to worship to God, but with the mission that people would see that and get a taste of who he is and would want to know him more. The menial task of your work, when you're sweeping the floor, you're changing the diaper, whatever you're doing, it has great meaning and great mission. You're participating in the mission of God for his glory across the whole earth. We, the community of believers, are called to redeem the concept of work in our lives. Work is not secular. All of life is sacred. All of life is sacred for a believer. Every single thing I do. It's all sacred, it's all worship, it's all holy to God. That means that we will work for different reasons than other people around us. We will work for different reasons. It'll look the same. There may be somebody else who is a really good uh, teacher, a really good stockbroker, a really good attorney. You're doing the same work, but you're doing it for a different reason. And it means that we will work in different ways. Our work will at times, maybe not all the time, but at times it will look different because the, the, the reason why we're working and the person for whom we're working is different. It means ultimately that we'll work with a different goal in mind. A different goal in mind. This should be exciting for us. It should be exciting for you. That... Those things that you really hate doesn't mean that you're going to love them anymore, but it means those things that you hate, that you really dislike tomorrow when you show up to work, that you can do them for a greater purpose. And you're participating in God's great mission to redeem the earth for himself, to glorify himself by the way that you bank, the way that you teach, the way that you are a student, the way that you pharmacize, all of those, you do those. For a different goal in mind. You're participating. I understand that's not a word. <laughs> I just do that every now and then to keep you guys awake. But you're doing it for a different goal. That should excite us. Your work, your mundane work, has great meaning and great mission. We have a book. Um, we can only get um, one copy. So this is a book by a guy named Tim Keller. You'll notice like we're big fans of him. Like, think about a quarter of the books back there on the book table, which, by the way, are all free. Uh, any book or resource that you want on there, grab and, and read. Um, but uh, we're a big fans of him. He wrote this book called Every Good Endeavor, Every Good Endeavor. If you're interested at all about the concept of work and career and vocation and how, how that plays into God's greater purpose, uh, that, we are, that we are joining in God's work in the way that we work and that, uh, that we're joining joining his redeeming work in the way that we work. Um, this will definitely be a book for you. We're going to get more copies. So um, if you want to pick up on your, on your own, you can, or we'll have more copies in the future. Uh, but is there, we're going to do a little, is there anybody here, we're not going to keep this, like, is there anybody here, like, interested in reading this book, or like a free book, and get away free? Anybody? Anybody want a free book? Anybody interested? Somebody's going to read this book. <laughs> Somebody's going to read this book. You'll read the book. Thank you. I know. I made it awkward. We just wanted, we just wanted to, to, to tell you guys, like, you should really read that book. If you have not, if you, if you, have, if you haven't thought much about how work all ties in with your, with your life and how all of life is sacred and is for uh, participating in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, then... Uh, 
that's the book for you. Uh, we're going to pray, we're going to have communion, we're going to sing some more, and then we're going to be done. Father, I thank you for um, the fact that, uh, God, I thank you for the fact that our work, though, is mundane, mundane and sometimes it's toilsome, sometimes it's laborious, um, it, it's, it's often not fun, it can be tedious, and it can be mundane, uh, that it has great meaning and it has a great mission that we're participating in. And Father, I just pray that uh, each of us here, that you would just speak to us where we are and our concept of work. God, for some of us, the issue is that we have separated uh, our work life from the rest of our life. Or certainly separated our work life from, uh, from our relationship with you. We think that what's work is work and like other things, like reading the Bible, going to church, or whatever it might be, uh, God's work. But God, just I pray that you bring a conviction this morning for us that have approached life that way, that, that all of life is to be sacred. And all of life is to be worshipped. That includes the way that we work, the way that we view our career, the way that we view our vocation. Uh, God, in that way, that somebody who is, uh, is teaching a child phonics or somebody who is trading stocks even for your glory, it is, uh, it's not, they're not doing anything less holy than even me who's getting up here to teach or your word this morning. God, for some of us, that we, we've been working for the applause of the people around us or working for the person that signs the paycheck. So when they're not looking or not willing to give us applause or uh, when they're not looking and they're going to sign the paycheck anyway, we just kind of mail certain parts of our life at work in. God, I pray you would bring a, a conviction this morning to us. I do that. You would help us to understand that, uh, that we're not working for them. And you would help us to do so with a sincere and glad heart. That can only be the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. You got to pray all of us that we would just, as we think about career, vocation, and work today, as we also think about how we can be talking about marriage and family and parenting and uh, being children, that, uh, that all of life you call us to be a part of a community that do all of life differently for your glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.